0: Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show was presented to you by Gasiewicz-Frankel, a law firm <laughs> dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at GasiewiczFrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your host today are Craig Frankel and Robert Port, and we're talking about how can we stop the financial abuse of our seniors.
1: And now it's time to introduce our guest. We are pleased to have with us today Kristen Lewis, an attorney with the Bowden Law Firm LLC in Atlanta. Kristen, welcome. Uh, Let me ask you first to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, the firm, and uh, any particular practice areas you have.
2: The firm is brand new as of January 1st, after um, 35 years, only with very large law firms.
1: Congratulations.
2: So uh, my mentor, Henry Bowden, and I uh, opened the doors as a boutique uh, estate planning firm. I continue my practice in special needs estate planning, primarily.
1: Very good. Now, our topic today is how can we stop the financial abuse of our seniors? And I thought to set up the topic... Uh, Maybe I'd throw out uh, some statistics I recall reading, and I follow this area as well. So, for example... Mostly
0: because he fits in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first one is demographics. Uh, You know, there's the greatest generation and uh, our generation, the boomers. And there's going to be an enormous transfer of wealth from the greatest generation to the boomers. I've read as much as $13 trillion, if I recall that number. Uh, recently, I've read that um, this year alone, over seven and a, I'm sorry, 750 billion dollars is going to be transferred by estates, by trusts, by 401k plan transfers, and things like that. Um, so, to my mind, that enormous transfer of wealth, along with some other factors we'll talk about, can lead to the type of financial abuse uh, of seniors where where talking about today. So given that intro, how does that fit into what you're seeing when you focus on this area?
2: Well, the perpetrators of elder financial abuse know where the money is. And uh, don't be tempted to think that elder financial abuse only happens to families of great means. This is a societal plague that affects everyone, people at all socioeconomic levels, from the likes of Mickey Rooney and Brooke Astor, which are sort of the poster children for elder financial abuse, all the way down to people living in subsidized housing because they are of such modest means. And um, a fun fact about baby boomers is that Each day, 10,000 baby boomers turn 65. And there are many, many studies out there in this space that show that people older than 65, and particularly between um, 80 and 89, are the most frequent victims of elder financial abuse.
0: Why, why, why are, are elders more susceptible to financial abuse than, let's say, people who are younger? And by the way, nowadays, I actually think of 80 as young, but that's my dad talking. But but why are seniors more susceptible?
2: The number one reason cited in these various studies is that the increase in dementia, including Alzheimer's disease, is um, at, at the crux of this problem. As people lose their judgment, as their brain is affected by the disease, they lose the ability to recognize when elder financial abuse is being perpetrated on them, Um, Another consequence is they forget because of the dementia or other um, activity going on in the brain and perpetrators go back time and time again.
0: And we see in our practice that not only is it just people that are suffering from dementia, but also as people age, their judgment and their thought process slows and they're not as good, a little bit forgetful. But one thing we're seeing among those who are the victims is a little bit of an embarrassment telling their children or their loved ones that they think they may have been taken advantage of. They're kind of embarrassed.
2: They're very embarrassed, especially if they've been taken advantage of by people that they know. And um, this whole aspect of diminished capacity to continue to use your assets to provide for yourself is also a well-documented phenomenon. Um, Another thing that comes up, our elders are sitting ducks for these perpetrators because they are um, increasingly socially isolated. Long gone are the days of the Waltons, for example, when there were three generations of Waltons living in the same house. We're lucky if we have even one generation uh, living in the same house or in the same city for that matter. A lot of adult children, they no longer feel responsible for caring for their elders and they live far, far away and that just makes it easier for the perpetrators of elder financial abuse to do their job if there are that few people in the elder's life.
1: So there's one other aspect that I perceive in this, and that is many people either have a disinterest or just don't understand financial things. The, the level of, I hate to use the word, but ignorance in terms of investing, saving, uh, just how to handle your daily financial affairs, I think, is very high, frankly, throughout uh, all age ranges. And, and as a result, I think particularly in the, in the senior community, when someone, either a friend, a relative, or someone who comes along who, who presents themselves as someone you should trust, it's very easy to say, well, this is all very complicated. I don't know how to invest my assets, this, that, and the other thing, and just sort of entrust their, their financial lives to someone else. And I think that leads to a lot of this abuse as well.
0: So well, let's, ask, let's ask the, nat, the, nat, the, nat, the, 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 the normal follow-up question. Who are the normal perpetrators? Who is the likely person to take advantage of our parents?
2: well the most recent studies show that um, the vast majority of perpetrators are known to the elder the earliest studies had a majority of perpetrators being strangers to the elder but with like scams well the scam is a good example but the the reason why the more recent studies have changed that conclusion is that more and more people are willing to admit that someone they know and trust has victimized them. Um, To your point, Craig, in the early days of this research, a lot of people just refuse to acknowledge that somebody they know has uh, victimized them. And so we're talking about family members, spouses, adult children, in-home caregivers, Um, friends and neighbors that is the vast majority of perpetrators and one of the studies also shows that a majority of perpetrators are male Um, not sure now we
0: have sexist studies
2: in indeed we do and and maybe one of those the reasons is that the vast majority of victims are female and that could um, have to do with the fact that women generally live longer than men. But um, two-thirds of the victims of elder financial abuse are women in their 80s.
0: And, and part of that might be that historically women were less involved in a traditional marriage of, of handling the money. So as they age, that, that might actually be one of the issues. Um, One of the things we're seeing in our cases when we see financial abuse of elders is that the abused person is still dependent upon the abuser. Is that something we're seeing in the studies as well?
2: So, actually, what they're increasingly seeing is that the abuser is dependent on the elder for financial support. And, of course, all of that really uh, came to um, a fore in the Great Recession where adult children lost their jobs, lost their homes, and all of a sudden they're living with their elderly parents again, and they never left. They They become completely financially dependent on the parents.
1: So we've been talking generically about this subject. It, it might be helpful to, if, if there is not a legal definition, but how would you describe broadly uh, the, the concept of financial abuse and exploitation?
2: there are many definitions and one of the problems with um, prosecuting elder financial abuse is that there is and no when you say
0: prosecuting you referring to criminal prosecution
2: correct or or even just um, civil remedies but um, all the definitions that are out there tend to focus on different aspects of um, this plague but generally the the illegal or improper use of an elder's resources. Sometimes the statutes um, speak in terms of neglect or exploitation um, in addition to elder financial abuse. Um, Georgia has a statute that actually makes it a felony to engage in exploitation of elders or um, people with disabilities. And An elder is defined under Georgia statute as a person 65 or older.
1: So let's, let's talk about some of the indications, what some people might call red flags, that, that might um, be a signal if someone else is looking at this situation, that something is amiss. So.
0: And, and let's, when we talk about that, let's, let's talk about the, the child who's out of town or the neighbor or the church member who says, wait a second, what, are the, what should they be looking for? Because it's not going to be the child or caregiver who's living with them because to the extent there's a problem, they're the perpetrators. So how does somebody outside, a family member or a church member, what are they supposed to look for?
2: Well, one of the classic um, indicators is that there are new best friends in the lives of these elders who, because they are socially isolated, all the adult children you know, live far away, um, the, the best friends kind of insinuate themselves into the lives of the elders. And before you know it, the best friend is a, a signer on bank accounts. The best for convenience. F- for convenience only. Um, many times, the best friend will insist that no other people be allowed um, access to the elder. So it- it's
0: the best friend who's who's isolating the senior.
2: Correct. And um, there are many other indicators: um, eviction notices. Um, you know, the elder is not apparently living um, up to the standard that her resources would suggest. Um, she's, you know, not getting new outfits like she used to, and. Um, A lot of the so-called indicators or red flags can usually be written off as having nothing to do with financial abuse. And so when you get a collection, though, of these indicators is when the adult children should be concerned. Actually, a lot of the perpetrators are the adult children, and so um, we have to be mindful of um, that fact as well, is that the people that you would think would be most concerned about the elder may actually be at the root of the financial abuse.
1: You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Robert Port from the fiduciary law firm of Gasluitz Frankel. We are talking today with Kristen M. Lewis, an attorney with the Bowden Law Firm, LLC, Atlanta, Georgia. And our topic today is how can we stop the financial abuse of our seniors?
0: I want to note something for our listeners. The civil laws haven't necessarily caught up, even when we're not talking about elder abuse. So when you're dealing with financial accounts, there is a presumption in Georgia and most states that if you add somebody to your account, it was intentional. And so in order to set that aside later, if, when and if you've ever caught it, the standard is very high to prove that wasn't intentional. So we should be looking at these things. So for example, if it's a joint account, you've got to prove in Georgia that by clear and convincing evidence that it wasn't done for convenience and wasn't an intentional act. And with powers of attorney as an example, if you go into a bank I mean, or joint accounts, they're going to put you a joint account with right of survivorship. But most people don't intend seniors to add somebody to give them the money. What they're saying is, I'd like you to be able to write checks to help me out. So we should look and see when you join an account, is it a POA account, the ability to write but not give it to them. Our bankers should look at that and so should we but my point is we're seeing that that the laws aren't necessarily thinking about the senior, so we should be thinking about that.
2: So in addition to that kind of nefarious activity, the perpetrators are going even further by uh, taking the senior to a new lawyer and having a new will or trust drafted up that um, completely changes the senior's prior estate plan in favor of the perpetrator. A lot of um, in-home caregivers um, have been known to perpetrate that kind of abuse.
1: So we've talked about some of the red flags and some of the potential um, folks who, who uh, perpetrate these, these acts um let's say someone identifies some red flags and has a concern do you have any suggestions as to how to go about determining whether there's anything there and if so what to do thereafter
2: so if a senior is living in the community not in a long-term care facility the so-called first responder is the Adult Protective Services Agency in the community. And every um, state and the District of Columbia is required by the Social Security Act to have an Adult Protective Services Agency. Um, it is the, it
0: funded federally or is it funded locally?
2: It is funded federally. Um, there's a wonderful um, 1-800 number that is maintained by the National Center on Elder Abuse where somebody can call them and get the contact information for the local Adult Protective Services Agency. That's
1: a great resource. I had no idea that Social Security had mandated that. Indeed. That's terrific.
2: And if there is suspected abuse in a long-term care setting, so a nursing home, assisted living, group home, then the long-term care ombudsman is the contact to report suspected um, financial abuse. And you don't have to be able to prove that the financial abuse is happening. If you have a reasonable belief that it may be happening, you should call APS or the Long-Term Care Ombudsman.
0: When you make a report, is it anonymous or is it non-anonymous?
2: I think you can go both ways. Um, Obviously, if you would be willing to share your relation to the purported victim of the abuse, that will help the APS or the Ombudsman um, figure out how serious this is. Um, there is express uh, immunity in the statutes um, that anyone who calls and reports suspected elder financial abuse is immune from prosecution um, if they had a reasonable belief and are not acting in bad faith and are not a party to the suspected abuse.
1: So. Uh, let's let's move from there to are, are there any obligations on, for example, banks, brokerage firms, other financial institutions, if they see what one might call red flags?
2: There is a class of what we call mandatory reporters. And in Georgia, indeed, financial um, institutions are on the mandatory reporter list. The The list of mandatory reporters can vary significantly from state to state, um, and most states do not require attorneys to be mandatory reporters, for example.
0: What does Georgia do?
2: So um, Georgia does not require attorneys, but they do require um, employees of financial institutions, as well as financial planners. That's a new addition within the last couple, three years um, to Georgia's list of mandatory reporters.
0: When we talk about financial planners, does that include brokers?
2: It does. And so, so far so good, but the consequences for failing to report suspected financial abuse if you are a mandatory reporter are pretty lame it is a slap on the wrist it's considered a misdemeanor and maybe a thousand dollar fine so there's not too much um too many consequences significant consequences at least under georgia law
1: interestingly enough i've i've had a matter over the last number of years where i've learned that um as a result of the federal government's efforts to combat terrorism and money laundering, banks and financial institutions have various reporting requirements for suspicious transactions, and there's various criteria for that. Um, and I, I don't know, but it strikes me that that could actually help identify some of this, you know, large money transfers, suspicious account openings, things like that. So it may be uh, one of these unintended consequences that in the fight against terrorism and money laundering, perhaps, just perhaps, some of this gets kicked out as well. Are, by are you
0: people. seeing that? You know, they're called SARs, um, where banks are reporting it. When they go up the chain internally, are we seeing financial institutions reporting to Adult protector Services or the Ombudsman where something is happening with large transactions?
2: So, most of the large um, financial institutions have internal protocols along these lines. I mean, the fact of the matter is they are ideally suited to uh, see the financial abuse as it is unfolding. And um, they are especially leery of accepting powers of attorney um, because the power of attorney is so often used as a primary tool of financial abuse. Um, one of my favorite quotes is that the power of attorney is the most effective tool uh, for stealing from folks since the crowbar. Are, are you quoting me? <laughs> um, I, <laughs>
0: let's talk about when you're you make a report so I know that there's some hesitancy to report either because you're concerned that if it's not followed through on the victim or even the perpetrator will retaliate against you you're worried about upsetting your senior so I know someone might have hesitancy to report but let's assume there is a report what happens
2: so the adult protective services um, agency will send somebody out to um meet with the elder to try and verify one way or the other about the report. The sad thing is, if the elder says, leave me alone, I'm fine, get out of my house, get off my front porch, then that's the end of it, and APS has to close the case. And to your point, Craig, the number one reason why incidences of elder financial abuse are not pursued is because the victim refuses to allow it to happen. With the
0: perpetrator sitting at the door?
2: That or fear of another reason why the victim may not allow it to proceed. Believe it or not, they don't want their family member to go to jail, which is just mind-boggling. They're worried that admitting that they've been the victim of financial abuse is going to cause the adult children to, you know, put them into a nursing home for their own protection. Um, and they don't want the government fooling around in their yeah, financial that, affairs.
1: Yeah, it, the The sense, I suspect, is for a lot of people that that this is an attack on their independence. They're getting older. They may be losing their mental faculties. There's talk about getting help or assisted living, as you just mentioned. So this is just more of the onslaught, so we can certainly understand that. Um, Before we get away from the banks and financial institutions, um, I believe I'm correct in recalling that the securities industry now has an option available where someone who has a brokerage account can list what's called a trusted contact or something like that, so that if the brokerage firm as they screen accounts and transactions see something suspicious there is theoretically hopefully not the perpetrator listed as the trusted contact am i correct although i
0: would assume it's often the perpetrator right
2: so yes you are correct and um a number of years ago you brought that to my attention thank you very much you're welcome um but it is it's not required it is something that they that the industry is trying to implement bit by bit but to your point many times the trusted contact is the perpetrator and so you can only um, hope to get so much protection but um, securities fraud is another big source of elder financial abuse Um, brokers and and other purveyors of products um, that are inappropriate for somebody in their 80s, for example. Um, And uh, it's sad to think that a, a very large percentage of elder financial abuse, we haven't really talked about this, is perpetrated by professional advisors, attorneys, um, insurance folks, you know, all of the people that um, you would least expect it from.
1: And one one other suggestion, and um, this, this might be helpful again, this might be something the perpetrator uses for their benefit is uh, many brokerage firms will allow uh, the holder of the account to have a duplicate copy of the statement sent to another person. So if you have a trusted person who is not going to uh, commit any financial abuse, it may be wise to have that person also get copies of statements so someone can monitor what is happening.
2: One of the things that I believe can really stem the tide of this um, plague on our society is professional advisors, assuming that they are not the perpetrators, who are actually willing to coordinate efforts. Um, So many times, clients, they have all the advisors they need, investment advisors, attorneys, accountants, but at the request of the client, they are sort of siloed in their individual um, subject matter expertise. And um, it, it really would help IF THE CLIENT WOULD AUTHORIZE PROFESSIONAL ADVISORS TO FREQUENTLY CONNECT WITH EACH OTHER, TO SEE WHAT EACH OF THEM IS SEEING IN THEIR SILO, AND TO BE ABLE TO um, RECOGNIZE EITHER EARLY SIGNS OF FINANCIAL ABUSE OR FULL-ON FINANCIAL ABUSE. I MEAN, LAWYERS WHO DO ESTATE PLANNING, WE'RE LUCKY IF WE SEE OUR CLIENTS EVERY DECADE OR SO on the other hand, an accountant is meeting with them at least once a year, and so um, never the twain shall meet in your typical um, uh, client. They don't want um, to have to be paying all these advisors to collaborate and share information, but it is a great idea um, to protect the client. Another. Um, Professional advisor that not a lot of people are experienced with is the geriatric care manager, which um, is worth her usually weight in gold. And by the
0: way, there's two types of geriatric care managers that we should focus on one is a person who helps you decide on the care, and they're wonderful, but there's also people who come in and help you with your finances and transition and age that are really wonderful sources. I do want to underscore something you said because it's probably the single most thing we are seeing that minimizes or reduces at least some abuse and that is sunshine, disclosure. Let other people know. So many times we're seeing spouses where somebody is the primary money person and they die or become disabled and the surviving spouse has no idea and doesn't know so disclosure early and often increases the likelihood of being caught and therefore kind of reduces the the crime of opportunity and and where we're seeing most of the time where, where clients are coming to us often way too late is that it was a crime of opportunity they somebody saw something whether it was a broker who could turn the account or whether it was a caregiver who took a little here and a little there and never got caught and it got bigger and bigger, the more people share with other family members and not necessarily the caregiver, the, the less likely it is that they're gonna put their finger in the cookie jar.
2: So another thing, very easy thing that um, folks can do is subscribe to the various scam alerts I mean, you just don't know how creative perpetrators can be. And the FBI has um, scam alerts, AARP, the Department of Justice. And so get on the distribution list. And they
0: are happening, and, p- and our elders do use computers, sometimes better, sometimes worse. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasiewicz-Frankel. We are talking today with Kristen Lewis, an attorney with the Baldwin Law Firm, and we're talking about how can we stop the financial abuse of our seniors. And given the name of the topic, let's ask, what can we do, are there criminal laws, civil laws, what can we do to try to stop this?
2: I think one of the most effective tools, in addition to the easy things, you know, putting your phones on the do not call registry since so much of this elder abuse happens that way Um, making sure that you're reviewing your credit report putting a credit freeze um, on your um, what is a credit freeze so a credit freeze is where nobody can open a new um, uh, credit card take out a mortgage any kind of lending proposition needs to be come to a screeching halt when there's a credit freeze and most elders should not be in the position of getting new credit cards or new mortgages.
0: So your advice is for any senior for our parents tell them or help them get a credit freeze now and the one time you need credit every 10 or 15 years I'll help you.
2: That's right and and you can um, do this with there's still three major credit agencies Equifax, Experian and TransUnion. And you can also get a free credit report um, annually. But for those families who have the means to take a more sophisticated step in preserving their assets, rather than having a will-based estate plan, which means that the elder's assets are largely titled in her own name and very easy for the bad guys to steal, transition from a will-based estate plan to a living trust-based estate plan where the assets are actually retitled in the name of the trustees and not have the elder as the sole trustee, that is not helpful, but have multiple co-trustees that the perpetrator would have to get through in order to steal the elder's money.
1: Well, and, and that's a very important point because I think much of the lay public hears the word trust and thinks it's for wealthy people or for tax planning. But but the point about asset protection and protection against frauds and scams I, I think is becoming, frankly, more and more important. And you do estate planning, so you know as a result of recent changes in the tax laws, it, it might even be... Um, shifting a little bit more towards uh, protection in this area. Uh, so I, we, I, I think that's an excellent piece of advice. Um, one other thing occurred to me, uh, as you were just describing what, what was happening, which is um, many people believe they are too smart to get scammed. And that is not the case. And I know of instances, for example, where hundreds of FBI agents got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. And if you've dealt with FBI agents, you know that they are suspicious. This is what they do uh, in terms of trying to identify and focus on criminal activity, but they got caught up with this. So the the overconfidence, if you will, of many people in believing, oh, this will never happen to me, it'll just happen to someone else who isn't smart, Uh, is is often very much misplaced.
2: Well, one of the real insidious things about dementia is that your brain, the area of your brain that governs gut reactions to suspicious characters or propositions, um, starts to degrade 20 years before you see external signs and by the way that's true
0: even without dementia as we age that kind of part of our brains slows down
2: right and so there's this period of time where you don't know what you don't know going on in your brain especially uh the impact on these gut reactions that anybody um in their their youth you know prior to age 65 would see a scam artist coming a mile away and our elders just don't see it.
0: You mentioned earlier that powers of attorney are often vehicles used to steal money. What can we do to to help you stop that?
2: A couple things come to mind. First of all, have co-attorney in fact appointments. Um, that way, before it could be used for a nefarious purpose two people have to conspire to um, have that happen Um,
1: in in other words turn it into a rico (laughs) issue (laughs) Uh,
2: indeed Um, another thing that never ceases to amaze me is that our clients will appoint their adult children in age order to serve under these financial powers of attorney why why
1: are you looking at me when you say that
2: well (laughs) I mean it they there is absolutely no correlation between birth order or even being a blood relative Mm -hmm. of the principal when you're appointing your attorneys in fact um, based on that and so encouraging our clients to recognize um, appropriate skill sets in the individuals that they're giving this broad authority um, to and You know, if uh, some of the markers for known people ending up being perpetrators of elder financial abuse are they've got alcohol or drug addictions, they've got, um, you know, problems with stress, they um, are unemployed. And so as you're reviewing the uh, proper candidates to serve under a power of attorney, look to see whether any of those factors exist, and don't point, appoint those people if those factors do exist.
1: And it's, it's not necessarily your, your uh, son or daughter who's been most successful, the, the brain surgeon, the lawyer, whatever it is. Uh, that, that's not necessarily
0: an indication that they'll handle your finances well. Correct. And I should mention when you talk about having two people, sometimes smaller decisions are easy. So allowing one agent to pay the caregiver bill or to pay the utilities is one thing. But having triggers for significant events, often like nonprofits, where if it's over a certain dollar amount, 2000 or 5000 it requires a double signature or double approval. When you make a gift or you buy a house or you sell a business, significant decisions you can put in a power of attorney Uh, that those decisions require two people to say yes.
2: Well, and the fact of the matter is powers of attorney are increasingly not respected by third parties, and um, it's because there's so much um, elder financial abuse perpetrated using powers of attorney. Uh, For whatever reason, third parties are much more likely to accept the guidance of co-trustees of a funded living trust even if it's the same set of people serving as co-trustees as would otherwise be serving under the power of attorney. So go figure on that
0: one. So we're nearing the end, and I told you at the beginning off, off air, tell us kind of one of the situations that either with a potential elder abuse turned out well because the protections were there, or perhaps with a situation where the protections weren't there and it did not turn out well.
2: One of the most sobering experiences in my practice was um, an elderly gentleman who had appointed his um, eldest son under a power of attorney. The eldest son was a Methodist minister. So who would ever expect that a Methodist minister would be stealing from his elderly father using the power of attorney that I drafted. And this came to light. Um, It is an example of how anybody is a possible perpetrator of elder financial abuse. When it came to light, we basically took all of the elders assets and funded a living trust with them when
0: you say we who was the we that did that
2: so we uh, me and the uh, reverend who was actually um, once he was caught he was you know very repentant and agreed using the power of attorney get, to getting fi-
1: caught will do that too. Yeah. right to
2: facilitate the funding of a trust and we had a professional trustee at the helm holding the purse strings and um, that is the way this individual's assets were managed up to the date of his death
0: so it was a good and a bad story how did he get caught
2: um, see, uh, actually his older sister finked on him because she saw him getting all these resources and she wanted in on the action as well. And so and she...
1: And, and was, was, there, uh, was he able to uh, compensate, uh, reimburse his, his elderly parent for what he had done? So
2: one of the reasons that people steal money from elders is they don't have money of their own. And so, no, and we felt it was a win just to be able to stem the hemorrhage of funding and um, prevent both of the adult children from being able to do that. And and with a professional trustee in charge of his affairs, there was the full disclosure that you indicate, Craig, everybody knew what was being um, used from the trust, for what purpose and um he finally died and now they're going to get to divide up what's left what's left And, And
1: and that's the sad part of this because you you are absolutely correct people who do this may have uh you know we do civil litigation and there may be great legal theories breach of fiduciary duty so on and so forth but if there's nothing there and generally these are people who have taken it because they can't manage their own assets um, there is there's, um, nothing there. So appreciate you sharing with our listeners I, that, that I've story. Also,
0: I've also often told this joke, and I'll tell it again, though Robert will roll his eyes, thieves aren't good savers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not,
1: not too many thieves have fully funded their, uh, <laughs> their IRA accounts. Uh, Before we close, Kristen, uh, let me ask you to give our listeners uh, your contact information, website, any other uh, information uh, that you may want to share with them so they can contact you.
2: So the Bowden Law Firm LLC uh, is the name of the new firm, uh, www.bowdenlaw.com. We are in the process of creating a fabulous new uh, website and uh, we hope you will visit us.
0: So come back and look at it early and often. As we wrap up our show today I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gasowitz Frankel please go to our website at gasowitzfrankel.com and remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag #WealthMatters. Our guest today was Kristen Lewis with the Bowden Law Firm. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Music.